Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renewed Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about how to deal with forgiveness. We're going to be in a message called How to Deal with Forgiveness. And we're going to, we're going to look at a couple of passages of scripture and, and talk about that. And before we do that, I'll, I'll just share with you a story. Maybe you think back and you look at your life and you think about a time in which uh, forgiveness has been hard for you. And I'm sure that every single one of us, to some extent or another, have dealt with uh, you know, the challenge of forgiving somebody that wronged you. It was, I was about 13, 14 years old. It was at that formational age in my life when um, I was going to a church that, uh, man, I was the kid at the church that didn't really uh, fit in. I was from the other school. I wasn't that cool. Like, I, I was just that, that kid that um, kind of stood out amongst, uh, amongst this large youth group that I was a part of. And I always wanted to be a part of stuff. I always wanted to do the, 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 the uh, things that everybody else was doing. But for whatever reason, I always kind of felt like I was kind of put aside. I was kind of the last kid picked on the dodgeball team. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things. And, and um, I'll never forget uh, this guy walking out of summer camp. And we're taking some students for a summer camp preview next week just so they can get an experience of what it's going to be like and they can go get a taste of it. They're not going to stay. We're not taking them for the whole week, but we're just going to go up so we can do a preview so that we can prepare and take a big group next year so, so that they can uh, be ready for it. But uh, I, I'll never forget. I was, like I said, about 13 years old. I was at this summer camp and I was getting out of the van. Um, we, we had just went on some kind of little excursion just in the middle of the week. And, and so I'd already been hanging out with these guys and been in the cabin with these guys. And there was this one guy a little bit older than me. We'll call him Mikey. His name wasn't Mikey, but I don't want to give away his name. Sometimes our, our, messages are, our messages are recorded. I don't want to just put that out there. But I remember to this day, I was getting out of the van. And as I was getting out of the van, like I was kind of stepping backwards. And Mikey just shoved me as hard as he could. Shoved me as hard as he could. And, and I, I slammed into the car next to me. And it was a little red convertible. And believe it or not, like I dented that little red convertible at that moment, and I was like, I didn't know what to do, I, and this kid didn't know what to do, but he threatened me, and he said, hey, listen, if you tell the, the, the chaperone, if you tell that lady that I dented that, or I pushed you into that car, I'm going to beat you up. This is church camp, right? Wow, what a blessing it is. How nice it is to get to go to camp and experience something like that. But that was 26 Years ago, I'm 39 years old. That was 25, 26 years ago, and I never forgot that. Never forgot that. Like, it, I left the church over that and, and among some other things. But those moments were formational for me, for my life, and for my family. And that's probably compared to some of the things you're thinking about today and you're talking about or considering forgiveness of. It's like, that's nothing. Trevor, that doesn't even compare to what I'm dealing with. And I know that. The hardest thing in life is to forgive. Seems like one of the hardest things. I mean, cheating spouses, abusive parents, fake friends, dishonest business partners, or what feels like an unfair God. It's hard to forgive. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that sometimes it is hard to forgive? 
it's hardest sometimes to forgive your friends and your family, those that are closest to you. When they break your trust, it's like they go from being your, being your closest friend and your confident to becoming the biggest fraud. And it's heartbreaking. It's discouraging. It's so, uh, it, it, it's wrenching to you. And you don't know who to turn to. You don't even know what to say because they were the person that you turned to. And they broke your trust. And you ask the question, how could I have trusted you? So I think somehow experiences like that get us kind of lost at sea. Out on kind of a, a, a raft, floating along in life, and, and just kind of like on our own, independent, isolated, just kind of like doing life and, and saying, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, but I know that I'm safe inside this comfortable little raft. I don't want to bother anybody, and I don't want anybody to bother me. I just turned off my trust. And that's where life sometimes has us. Have you ever done that? Like thought, thought that? Like I'm not... I don't ask anything of anybody else, but don't ask anything of me because I don't. That's the deal that I made. I, you can't ask anything of me because I don't ask anything of, of you. And you have that heart that sometimes happens because of hardness, because of brokenness, because somebody broke your trust, because somebody affected you in such a way that it's too hard to ever trust again. It's too hard to ever love again. It's too hard to say, I forgive you. Yeah, it's three words. Put them together and it makes a sentence. But it's a statement that is so much harder than just those three words coming out of your mouth. I forgive you. Can you say it this morning? Can you say it in your life? Can you say that in your circumstances? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 35. One of them, expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like they're asking him and they're partially, they're not just trying to learn. They're calling him teacher, but they're really trying to trap him and trying to figure some things out about who this Jesus is that claims to be the son of God, the Messiah. But they said, what is the greatest commandment? And if you know the law, if you look back, if you, if you do any research on what the law is, the law is made up of uh, the, the books and several books of the Old Testament. Levitical laws and, and uh, some of those different uh, books, the Ten Commandments. But there's 600 plus laws. If you count them all up and, and it, you go into it and it gets like overwhelming as you're reading them. And you're like, wow, you, 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 if, if you have certain kinds of like hairs growing out of your skin, you've gotta, you're unclean. And that's, there's a law about that. And, and there's laws about the way you discipline your children. And there's laws about all kinds of things. But they said, what is the greatest commandment to which Jesus replied love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands Jesus was saying all of everything on this side of this Bible this side of this book all of it weighs hangs stands on these two commands love God with all you are heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself loving God okay talking about that we'll talk about that another day there will be another time for that and the question would be do you truly love God with everything you have but this morning I want to actually talk more about loving your neighbor as you love yourself 
man, how much do you love yourself? Think about it for just a minute. When you want something, you have a way of prioritizing it, don't you? You have a way of getting it when you want it, right? If you wake up hungry, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go to the refrigerator or better yet to the, the, the fast food restaurant down the street. You're probably going to find a way of filling your stomach. If you're hungry, you're going to take care of number one. If you wake up, uh, if you're tired, you take a nap. If you want a haircut, you get it. You do the things that you want to do when you do them, when you want to do them. Why? Because you love yourself. I love myself. We care about number one. But Jesus is saying to love your neighbors as you love yourself. I want to I take you to another story for just a few minutes. I want to take you to the story of a man by the name of Louis Zamperini. Anybody ever heard of Louis Zamperini? Louis Zamperini was a, uh, a war hero. He was born to Italian immigrants. He moved from New York to Torrance, California when he was only five years old. He began smoking at the age of, of five, drinking at the age of eight. Uh, but then he caught an interest in long-distance running. Uh, and he became, he, he uh, got the state record in California for the mile. In 1934, he became the, the record holder and he held that record for 20 years by, by running one mile in four minutes and 21 seconds. Pretty, pretty fast. And uh, Louis Zamperini uh, entered into the Olympics in Berlin, Germany, and uh, went, went there, uh, competed, met Hitler, met a lot of world leaders, all kinds of things happened. He didn't end up winning because, they say, because uh, he went on a cruise ship across, or a ship across the sea. And in those 10 days, he didn't take seriously his training and his diet. And in those 10 days, he gained weight and he lost his strength. And so he did not place in the Olympics. But his brother had told him in, the, in, in those early days of training and when he was in the Olympics and then when he was uh, competing at USC, University of Southern California, he said, a minute of pain can lead to a lifetime of glory. A minute of pain can lead to a lifetime of glory. And so Louis lived by that. And that's how Louis became so successful at long distance running. He went back uh, to, he trained to go back to the Olympics from USC, but then World War II happened and the Olympics were canceled at that point. So he had to uh, then decide what he was going to do in the army because if you're a man, you're going into to war. You're going to fight. If you're of age, you're going to fight. And so he went, he enlisted as a bombardier in the army. And in 1943, Louis Zamperini was on a rescue mission when his plane went down in the middle of the ocean. Eight of the 11 crew members died on impact, but Louis and two of the others survived and they were stranded on a life raft. Stranded on a life raft, probably not quite as small and insignificant as this, but probably not much bigger in 1947. Stranded on a life, life raft for 47 days. 47 days out in the open ocean. I don't know if you can imagine that for a second, but you have the picture of the open ocean. I don't know if you have that on the screen or not. Like, if you've ever been out there, not, not when you can see the land, but I'm saying when you can't see anything. Maybe you've been on a cruise and you've seen that. It feels a little bit more reassuring when you're on this big ship and there's a lot of people around you and it's a big, massive ship. But imagine being on one of these out in the middle of the ocean, 
and knowing that the waves are going to come and they're going to go and sometimes the storms are going to come in and you can't see anything anywhere and you have no place to go. You're, you're stuck without a paddle. You're just floating along wondering when is it your day to die. That's where Louis Zamperini was. But he still had this thought in his mind that his brother taught him from back when, from his Olympics days and his training days and his running days. A lifetime of pain. A minute, excuse me, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. He exchanges a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. So he's, he's taking that thought into account as he's sitting on that raft and he's like, one minute after another minute after another minute. He's surviving on that little boat for 47 days. On the 33rd day, one of his crew members, the other of the two, one of them died on the 33rd day. 47 days later, they floated 2,000 miles onto an enemy island unto enemy territory, Japan territory, and um, was, was captured as a prisoner of war in the middle of the war, held as a prisoner of war under the Japanese for two years. But Louis continued to say this to himself, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. So if he could, if he could make it through those you know, mile runs, and if he could make it uh, in, in, out of a ship, uh, a plane crash, and if he could make it out of 47 days on an open sea, then he's going to be able to, one way or the other, a minute of pain, a lifetime of glory, he's going to survive the prison camp and everything that those people are going to do to him, all the physical and psychological torture and everything that they did to him. He was singled out by the camp sergeant, known as the bird, uh, because of the fact that they recognized he was a national hero, because they knew who he was, and they had seen him in the Olympics. And they actually beat on him even worse, and they treat, mistreated him even harder because of that. But he continued to say, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. Louis had been pronounced dead by the U.S. Army. But when the war ended a couple years later, Louis was released and he came home, and they had to give him back his life. They celebrated this war hero that was dead and was alive again, that was lost and had been found again. This national figure was known as the unbreakable Louis Zamperini. He was unbroken, and nobody could touch him. I mean, next the, the, the bald eagle, like he was the mascot. He was the guy that everybody looked to and said, this is a picture of America. And Louis traded all of those minutes of pain for a lifetime of glory. He was able to outlast day and night on the open sea and a little raft. He was able to outlast the war and stay uh, mentally connected in spite of all of the psychological and physical torture that he put up. He, he was able to do all of these things. They named airfields after him, gave him medals of honor. Louis was the man back in that time, 1943, 1944. But by 1949, Louis was back home. He was married. He was living uh, a, a life that was much more comfortable than the life on this raft. But Louis was finding himself broken, not knowing where to turn, not knowing what to do. His raft that he had kind of mentally created for himself, his own little world of just being safely secured on his little raft, not bothering anybody and nobody bothering him, began to sink. 
it began to lose air and the glory started to fade and Louis found himself broken by life, embittered with the way that things had ended up and he had turned to alcoholism. And it was at that point in time, 1949, when his wife and he were uh, on the verge of divorce, when his wife heard about this man that was in town in Los Angeles doing a crusade. His name was Billy Graham. And in 1949, his wife went and heard the message, the gospel, as presented by the Reverend Billy Graham. And it was there that she decided to go. And because of that, she said, I'm not, not going to divorce you. And he's like, why would you not divorce me? So he says, I've got to go who, see who this guy is and hear what he's having to say. And when he got there that next day, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Louis went from having a head knowledge about God to knowing God in his heart. At a tent meeting in California, Louis was ready to be broken. Louis was ready to be set free from all the things that had held him down in his life. You know, Philippians chapter 3 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Louis knew what it was to, to deal with physical pain. He knew what it was to deal with a, a, a lifetime or a minute of pain, whether it be on the track or in a plane crash or out in open sea with sharks underneath you or even being tortured by the, the Japanese. Whatever the case was, Louis knew how to handle those things, but he never really understood what it meant to be uh, recognized and 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 participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, becoming like him in his death, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Louis said, I want to die to myself. Not just the physical death, but to my spiritual self. Like, I want to give my life over to the Lord. And you see, where we live, we have everything we need so easily at our fingertips. We get sick, we go go get some medicine or we go to the doctor we're hungry we get food in the fridge we need something we buy it but when you're crashed at sea and you've lost over half of your body weight to starvation and you just laid your friend to 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 rest in the ocean beneath you because he died man and somehow yet you're surviving you feel invincible louis had beaten all the odds but he and he couldn't be broken until that night in 1949 and it was in that night that he wanted to be forgiven and set free of all the things that he had held on to, that he had harbored bitterness towards. He wanted to experience true forgiveness. But he had to forgive before he could experience the true forgiveness. He had to forgive the people that had hurt him. He had to forgive even those people in those war camps that had tortured him. Before he could be set free. Our text this morning is in Matthew chapter 18. And, and the disciples asked this question of Jesus. Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see pride's kind of puffing up. They know Jesus is powerful. They've seen his miracles. And pride is starting to, to, to puff its ugly head. And they're asking these questions. And they're not thinking about the kingdom of heaven uh, in, in the way that Jesus sees the kingdom of heaven. They're thinking of a political kingdom, an economic kingdom, a military kingdom. They're thinking of some kind of kingdom that's going to do something for them here on earth. And Jesus 
talks about the kingdom of heaven is like that of a little child and takes the faith of a little child, but they don't get it yet. So, so Peter, in the same chapter, props up and he says, hey, uh, Jesus, he asks this question. And by the way, Peter reminds me a lot of Louis. Peter, Peter's this type of guy that, I mean, in the way that you read, if different passages of the story of, of Peter, like he's the guy that would fight anybody. He's the guy that gets into arguments with Paul. He's the guy that says, Lord, I'll never de- deny you. And yet he just a few moments later denies him. Peter looks like the guy that would be smoking at age five. He's just that kind of guy. And yet he's the one that the church is built on. And Peter asks this question. He says in Matthew chapter 18, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or another translation says 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus gives him this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Other translations say 10,000 bags of gold. They owed him 10,000 talents talents but since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he be sold had be sold to repay the debt did you hear that did you hear a bankruptcy clause in that no he said he's going to the king had the right to sell not just the man but his wife and his kids to repay these 10,000 talents At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. And he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He says, I'm going to pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him. The king took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. It's amazing, that verse. It's just like that. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found, out one, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a few silver coins, not a whole lot of money. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him and he said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. This is the guy. This is the same guy that just asked for forgiveness and received it. And he said, but he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, because how many of you know news travels fast? Good news and bad news. News travels fast. The other servants saw what had happened. They were outraged. They went and they told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Okay, remember, this is a parable. This is Jesus telling a a story to get across a point of, of how many times we should forgive our neighbor. And he said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Wow. So Peter's asking this question, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? In the Old Testament, three was good. Three was kind of the, 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 the expected number of times to forgive your brother for the sin they've committed against you. 
Peter was thinking, hey, I'm, I'm actually stepping up a little bit. I'm raising my game a little bit. Jesus, I know you're going to be happy with what I'm about to say to you. How about seven times? I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. But Jesus says, how about 77 times? I need to kind of help you understand this a little bit more. I want to, I want to kind of describe for you just a little bit of how Jesus was painting the picture of how great this forgiveness was that was given to the man. A talent in uh, Old Testament was a measure of weight. But in the New Testament, it was an established unit of currency worth 20 years wages. One talent or, or one bag of gold in other translations was worth 20 years wages. One talent. So you take for just a second, if you would, just kind of humor me with this math. I think we have it on the screen. Maybe, maybe not. But here it is. $10 an hour, okay? $10 an hour, just let's say entry-level job anywhere here in the United States. $10 an hour, 2,000 hours, which is a full-time, uh, you know, 40 hours a week on average. 2,000 hours for, for round-off number's sake, $20,000. $20,000. You take that times 20 years... $20,000 times 20 years, and you've got one talent. $20,000 times one year, you've got $400,000, and you've got one talent. And how many talents did he say the man owed? 10,000. 10,000 talents. So 400,000 times 10,000 talents is $4 billion. $4 billion. Which, if you were making $10 an hour, you back it up, you reverse it, it would take you 200,000 years to repay. 200,000 years to pay the debt that was owed. And I don't know if you caught it when I was reading it or not, but the man was about to get, like, everything was about to get repossessed. His life, his wife's life, his kid's life, everything was going to be taken back. And he's like, please, I will pay it back. And the king's like, $4 billion, you're not going to pay it back. He knows that. He's, he knows there's no way he's going to pay it back. Not in this lifetime or in the next 20 lifetimes. But I, I need you to get how quickly it says, and he, when he said, please forgive me of this or please give me the time. How quickly the king canceled the debt. And it was done. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? It's actually a little extreme. But I think Jesus wanted to paint an extreme picture because he needed to show you what extreme grace looked like. Jesus is telling Peter and everybody else listening, and you and I, he's telling them, um, this is how much I've forgiven you. But he's also saying, here's the, here's the kind of the contingency on this. Don't forget how you need to forgive your brother. That 70 times 7. Because regardless of... How badly you've been hurt. Regardless of how 
wrong you've been wronged. It doesn't compare to the forgiveness and the grace that has been extended to you and to me. That's where Louis Zamperini was when he came to his senses. He was unbroken, and he had separated the things done to him from the impact that it was having on the rest of his life. And although he was unbroken and the world had celebrated him as this person that could not be broken, the world around him was breaking. And until he truly realized what Christ had went through, taking his sins and the sins of the rest of the world on himself, Louis, until he could really get a picture of that, he was staying in his boat. He was staying in his raft. But he was breaking down. It wasn't until Louis got out of his little boat and got into the arms of Jesus, falling into the ocean of grace, that Jesus was offering to Louis. The story goes, and you can find this. I think there's a movie about it. It's called Unbroken. Uh, Louis went as far as to even go back to Japan to find forgiveness and, and, and offer forgiveness to his enemies and make amends, even with that prison camp sergeant that almost took his life. Remember the minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. Remember, Louis kind of like his life sentence, his life statement, his life phrase. A lifetime of pain, a minute of pain for a lifetime of glory. Louis found that a moment of true forgiveness led to a lifetime of peace, wholeness, and purpose. It, a, a moment of true forgiveness is what led to a lifetime of peace and wholeness and purpose. Far greater than the glory that the Olympics or the airfields or anything else named after him could do for him. So how do you forgive others? By experiencing forgiveness for yourself. Forgiving others starts with seeking forgiveness for yourself. And maybe you don't think you owe anyone an apology. Or you have nothing to say sorry for. But maybe that's the thing that you need to say sorry for because your pride is so overbearing that you can't even see the wrong in your own life. That you can't even humble yourself to the point in your life where you can recognize that you have a part to play in circumstances that are going wrong around you. Maybe you've met someone like that. They're never wrong. So they never say sorry. There's this pride thing that comes up. I don't think it's because they, they, realize that they don't realize they're never sorry. There's a pride issue that is around us sometimes when we just don't want to acknowledge the wrong in our life. Sorry is sometimes harder than even you win or, or, or you're, you're good at this or, or complimenting someone. Sorry brings you to uh, an admission of responsibility, stepping out of your life raft, stepping out of your what your safety net is and letting yourself be vulnerable before the person that you are seeking forgiveness from. And maybe it's not a person because you're like, no, I, I really, I'm, I'm serious, Trevor. I've never done anything wrong to anyone. Well, let me tell you something. Did you know that there is the person of the Holy Spirit? And not a single one of us is without sin. 
So if it's for no one else in the room, for, for anyone else in your life, then it's for someone named the Holy Spirit that maybe you need to humble yourself before and say, God, forgive me. Here's what the Bible says about forgiveness. There's a couple of verses that I want to show to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 is one of those verses. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, think about that for a second. Like, he's, he's setting this up to say the reason why you need to do this is because I forgave you first. Here's another one. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says this. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? In other words, if there's someone that you're harboring bitterness towards, if there's someone that you're angry at, if there's someone that when I talk about unforgiveness right here and right now, that name comes to your mind or that face comes to your mind, I need you, before you even see that face, I need you to see the face of Christ. I need you to see Jesus and say, listen, if, if you're praying, if you're seeking me, before you can even seek me, you need to forgive them so that I can forgive you. Man, that's heavy. And that's hard. But that's the word of God. One more, I think. Do you have one more? Matthew chapter 6. But if you do not forgive others, you don't have this one. I apologize in the back. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's the, the ending of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. You can read it for yourself. You have to forgive if you want to be forgiven. You see, nothing else in the world is going to last. For Louis being a war hero, a world-class athlete, the symbol of survival, the, 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 the guy in the parade, you know, that everybody's cheering for, it doesn't last. It fades. The only thing that didn't fade from 1949 till his death at age 97, I think was in 2014, the only thing that lasted was what he received through Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sin, the freedom, and, and being let out of his raft and in to the ocean of grace that God offers to you and to me. It carried him for the next 65 years. He struggled for six years from when he left the world war to, to the point of almost divorcing his wife and losing everything. But then in 1949, when he heard the good news of Jesus Christ at that crusade event, that tent revival, he, from that point forward, he lived for Jesus for 65 years. I'm just telling you, you can fill it with anything else you want. You can try everything else. But when you tried it all and it doesn't work remember what I told you come back to Jesus and fall into the ocean of grace get out of your lifeboat and fall into the ocean of grace that God offers to you we don't only want people to, at Renew Church to get saved 
We talk a lot about these things. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It's on your growth track card. It's on your, on your connection card. We talk about it um, tonight at the interest gathering. We talk all the time about it. We don't not just want you to hear about Jesus and the good news of Jesus, but we want you to find freedom. We want you to settle your yesterdays. We want you to be able to somehow in some way be able to be set free from whatever that thing is that you need forgiveness from or for or for that person that you need to give forgiveness to. And if you can't forgive, do I need to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18? When they said, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus told him, 70 times 7. And if you're saying, sitting here and you're like, I'm not doing it. Then the only other alternative is to go to work. It's to go to work. you got to pay it back. If you're not willing to fall into the ocean of grace of God's love, if you want to stay in your own boat, you want to live your own life, you want to do it your way, then you've got to pay it back. You've got to go to work. Remember how many years it'll take? 200,000 years full time. Or you can just say in just a word, Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. And he will cancel the debt. But then you've got to go and cancel the debt for somebody else that you've been harboring it and hanging on to it with. Man, today is Pentecost Sunday. And maybe you don't know what that means. Today is the day in which, uh, after Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead, he spent 40, 40 days with his followers, and um, then he ascended into heaven. But before he ascended, he goes to them, and he says to them, Hey, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me, on you. You will receive power. Just wait. Just wait. Just be patient and wait. And they're like, for what? And they said, because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to the very end of Acts 28. It's an amazing book. I did an entire series on it. I may do it again in the, in the years ahead. But it's a powerful picture of how the church exploded on the scene. And Jesus wasn't even there. But you know who was there? The advocate. The comforter. One that gave the power, the Holy Spirit. And it started on Pentecost Sunday. Today's Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. And I need you to understand this. I need you to hear this for a second. You can't do everything that I just tried to tell you or just tried to preach to you about on your own. You just can't. It's too hard. The stuff that's been done to you, Trevor, you don't even know how bad it is. I don't, and I can't even begin to pretend I don't. The only way you can do this, the only way you can do the things that we're talking about, this whole forgiving thing so that you can be forgiven thing, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you deal with unforgiveness? This morning as I was doing my devotions and I was thinking about it, it was, I, I, I was thinking to myself, it's, it's not try harder. 
try to forgive a little more, would you? Could try a little harder. That didn't take away the wrong that's been done to you. You can't just try your way into forgiving them. The answer to forgiveness is God's revealing it to me in my life and some areas of my life because I've struggled with it some too. I've had some things gone done to me that don't feel good. It's not try harder. It's trust more. If you were to take one thing away from this message this morning, it's the way to forgive, the way to find forgiveness is not to try harder, but to trust more. God, I don't see how you're doing this. God, I don't understand how this is going to work out. God, I, these, these people have done me way too bad. I understand. I don't understand. I, I, I understand that it's happened to you, but I don't understand how you're going to get through it. But you've just got to trust more power of the Holy Spirit to help you and to guide you. We've got members of our prayer team that are prepared to come forward. They're going to be on both sides and the outside edges of these speakers here. And If you need someone to pray with you while we sing this closing song, our musicians are going to come back up and we're going to sing this closing song and then I'm going to lead you in a closing prayer. However you want to worship, however you want to kind of deal with this, this is your opportunity, your invitation just to say, God, help me. If you want someone to pray with you, come on up going to sing together.
praise God. Yeah, let's give Jesus a round of applause. He's working in hearts and lives. We don't want you just to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to experience it. Remember the guy I told you about? I, t I called him Mikey. He shoved me into the car and changed, you know, made me. I'm, I left that church and did all kinds of things. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for Mikey, my ministry, he was part of my formation. Because of Mikey, because of that, I, I have such a heart for, for the outsider. Because of that, I have such a heart for the person that's trying to get in but doesn't fit in. So God used Mikey, and it was a tough time and it was a tough season, but God used Mikey to help me be who I am even today. And you never know what God's doing in you. You never know what God is using you for, but I'm telling you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to stop trying harder. You need to start trusting more. And you need, if you don't want to go back to work, if you want him to cancel the debt like that, you need to forgive. I can't do it for you. Jesus can't do it for you. You have to make the decision. I choose to forgive. Allow him to do it in you. Allow him to work in you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is your opportunity to respond. If you would say with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Pastor, I just need to make a declaration today. I choose to forgive. You see the person, you see the face, you know that thing. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. I choose to forgive. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. All over this room, I see your hands. Praise be to God. God, you see hands. God, you know about hearts. You know where they're at. I pray that they would be able to cancel the debt, to be set free, to come out of the life raft, to be broken in the sea of grace, to be set free in the ocean of your love. Help them, I pray. Touch them, I pray. Guide them in everything they do. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is just that moment that I take almost every Sunday, and I'm doing it again. If, if it's not for you, that's okay. But if you don't know Jesus today, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and you would say, Pastor, today I need to declare Jesus is my Savior, I want to pray that prayer. If that's you today, just lift your hand right where you're at, and I'm going to pray with you from up here. If that's you today, would you lift your hand? Would you lift your hand right now if that's you today? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, thank you again. Thank you again. Thank you again for this time and for meeting us. Thank you for helping us, God. Thank you for forgiving us, oh God. While we were sti still sinners, yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. In the middle of our sin, not when we got cleaned up and then we came to him, but in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our muck and mire, you came and you washed us and you made us clean. And I thank you for that. I pray that we could somehow in some way find forgiveness and experience the freedom in that. Touch this group. Touch this team. We thank you, oh God, for the things that you're doing and all that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Let's give Jesus another round of applause. I'm going to invite Mikey, the real Mikey, to come back up. Uh, but man, just I want to reiterate one more time. Come on up, Mikey. I want to reiterate one more time, man. Uh, make sure 
that, that if you haven't been to our uh, growth track and you've done the spiritual gifts, it's about 45 minutes. We'll watch the kids. We've got lunch set up ready already in the art classroom right next to the nursery. And then tonight at 6 o'clock is our, our uh, input gathering. This is the onboarding process so that you are a part of the Renew crew, so that you are, are a part of the team and you get involved in some level or some way. We just ask that you would come go through the gifts profile, hear our heart and our vision for the church, and then uh, basically you come and, and serve with us one time, and you're on the crew. You're a part of us. So that's what we want, and we encourage it for all of you. Also make sure they take those cards home, get the, the invite cards. Uh, there's a stacks of 10, bundles of 10, and we gave them to you in that way for that reason to start promoting lights, camera, action. Mikey, here you go. Give it up for that message, man. What a strong powerful message what an awesome spirit-filled morning huh from worship to to the message it was you felt it and if you gave your life to christ and you made that decision congratulations that is the best decision you could have ever made and like pastor Herbert said we have growth track and and all those good things but right now this is a part of our service where we choose to worship god through the giving of tithes and offerings so Let's pray for that. God, I pray for, for the offering today, Lord, for the gifts that will be given to this ministry, Father. Use them, Lord, to glorify your kingdom, God, to, to provide needs for those in our community, Father, and in this church, Father. We thank you for our resources, God. It's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. And before you're dismissed, right before I got on here, um, like Pastor Trevor talked about before, the Castellanos family is leaving, and it is sad because... They caught the vision way back then. They believed in Trevor when Trevor didn't believe in himself. And really they were believing in, in God's plan for this community and for this church. And we've never done this before and I kind of wrestled with it. I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this or not. But Trevor mentioned that Roly prayed out their first meeting when he first introduced Renew Church. And, and they're leaving now. So I feel like it's only right that we just continue to pray for this church, pray for our pastor pray for all the things that God is doing in this ministry. So if, if all of you here, because we're all, we're all a family, we're all a church family, we're all the family. God, if we can all come up, Trevor, come here. And if we can all just continue to pray for our brother, our pastor, and this ministry, if you guys want to come up, we can all just huddle up and, and just be here as a family. And it's so easy to forget that we're a baby church. Look at all the great things that God has been doing in this ministry. It's amazing. God, we thank you, Father, for, for Trevor Pound, God. And, and we thank you for just touching his heart, Father, and, and for walking him and, and helping him be obedient to your call, God. Lord, we thank you for all the people in this room today, God. If this is their first time or, or if they've been here since, since the Castellanos family has known about Renew Church, God, and we just pray blessing upon blessing upon all of us here, Father. We pray, God, for just for freedom, Lord, like Trevor talks about all the time, God. We pray for direction, God. We pray for, for resources, Father. We just pray that you continue to put your hand on this ministry, God. Raise up leaders, Father, God. Heal hearts, Lord. Break chains, Father. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to just be here, Father, and worship and, and tell people about your son, Jesus, who died for our sins, God, and gave us the opportunity, God, to live 
Father. We thank you so much, God. Continue to put your hand on Trevor. Continue to lead him. Continue to humble him, Father. Continue to do what you're doing in his life, God. We thank you, Father God. It's in Jesus' precious name we all pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You are all dismissed.